Ready? Go. Welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. I'm Jonathan Elliman, and on the other end of this line that we're not quite sure how it's working is Rob Turpin. Rob, hello to new technology. Good evening, Jonathan. Yes, this is yep. uh, all uh, new and fangled, as they say. We're trialling out a new thing called Cast. Oh, it's not new, but it allows us to record more than two people so that'll give you a hint as to what might happen in the next couple mm. of weeks is there a um is there a limit to how many people you can uh <clears throat> record i don't know an entire orgy online oh up to three guests okay. so not not so much as an orgy as a as a friendly gathering right, you are. plenty um, enough for but us. i don't know how i don't know how robust this thing is so we'll have to uh <clears throat> this is our experiment, so we'll see. What's on your desk? <laughs> What's on my desk? Yes. I've got uh, a couple of commissions on. I'm doing uh, some more stuff for Ellie Press. So we're reworking a couple of illustrations. Um, but apart from that, it's been a bit of a week off for me, or a few days off. I've had my parents down from North Yorkshire. They were in London for a wedding, uh, so we drove over to East London on Sunday to pick them up and bring them back to um, suburban southwest London. So I've had a few days pottering about with my parents, uh, walks in the park, walks down by the river, nothing uh, too taxing, but it's been nice. Then uh, took them to where we... Uh, often see the kingfisher and it even showed up so my parents were tickled pink to see the kingfisher uh, so that was good um, it's, it's always a joy to see a kingfisher it is and it hung, around for, it hung around for quite a while was it fishing? it was yeah um, there's a chinook flying over I think that's probably on its way down yeah. here. Rattling the window panes. Yeah, because they're all based at Odium, aren't they? Mm. Um, what else this week? Um, caught up on Star Trek Discovery. Have you? Are you up to date on Star Trek Discovery? No, I've watched... It finished halfway through a season. Yes, which is a bit mid-season strange. interval. Why? why? It's just why an American, Christmas American break? thing. Right. Um... Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's it's fun to watch, but I'm not biting my nails waiting for the next. Episode. It has got way better since the mid-season break. I no, really, no. really enjoyed it. It's gone off on a quite a tangent, um, but it's very, very good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many scenes of the Klingons talking to each other in nonsense speak I can sit. Through. Well, there are not. It's like listening to there elves. are zero, almost zero Klingons. In the second half oh. of the series. Yeah. They've been wiping a bit better. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I also, uh, I think, uh, as well as you, I watched the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, no, I watched the oh, original. Oh, you watched Cloverfield? I've never seen I it. I see. What did you think? Uh, it made me it's laugh. It's all right, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was really Have good. Have you seen 10 Cloverfield Lane? No. Uh, so that was, uh, that kind of came out uh, a couple of years ago and was just kind of unleashed upon the audience sort of with very little fanfare as a Cloverfield movie. Um, and it's, it's a completely different kind of film and it's uh, the kind of Cloverfield link itself is pretty vague and you don't really know anything about it until the end. It's, it's something has happened and uh, all the characters are in an underground bunker. Um, so that was, I think that was kind of announced that it was a Cloverfield movie uh, like a couple of months before it was released. Um, and then on Sunday night, there was a, uh, during the Super Bowl, there was a teaser trailer for the Cloverfield Paradox. You know, this has been a film that's been rumoured for a while. Uh, it was called The God Particle at one point. And then it was kind of rumoured that it was going to be part of the Cloverfield stable. Uh, and at the teaser trailer, it was announced and it said, The Cloverfield Paradox, you can stream it online now or tomorrow. So that was it. No fanfare, nothing. Straight onto Netflix. Here's a new Cloverfield film. And it's uh, it's a right mess of a film. It's uh, It takes bits from uh, Event Horizon and Alien Prometheus. Uh, it's got a lot of similarities with the recent film Life that was uh, about alien an alien creature on a space station. Um, Nick's kind of loads of tropes and scenes from lots of sci-fi books and it's really strange um, and it actually it's got quite a few similarities with Star Trek Discovery um, when you've caught up on Star Trek and and then you watch Cloverfield Paradox you'll you'll see what I'm getting at but it's, it's weird I don't really know what J.J. Abrams is behind the Cloverfield films, although he hasn't directed Did he direct Cloverfield or did he just produce the original? No, it was the chap who, I I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's went on to direct um, He, uh, J.J. Abrams is kind of behind the films. Oh, Matt Reeves uh, directed Cloverfield, so he did the the Planet of the Apes films Yeah, which I thoroughly liked uh, I enjoyed. I haven't read. I watched the latest great. one, um, and I haven't watched the Let the Right One in American. No, I've seen that. It just pains me to mm. watch films sometimes, American yeah. films, because the original Swedish was absolutely, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, so I don't really know what JJ Abrams is is doing because this latest one, The Cloverfield Paradox, was apparently was well into production before it was kind of picked up as a Cloverfield film and then I guess they kind of repurposed bits in it. But the the cast of the film didn't know it was a Cloverfield film until the teaser trailer was shown during the Super Bowl. Hmm. So it's a very strange way of making and distributing films. The the original... I, I don't understand the connection between the films because the original makes no reference to the word Cloverfield as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah, it was... Um, it? I think when they were making it, it was kind of like, a, you know, films have a, co- a, code, a code name. name. Yeah. Um, and oh, it stuck. Right. Ah. Um, 
So the original film that I watched last night, and I know I'm way behind the curve here. It's probably at least 10 years old. Uh, I, I, I thought it was great, but it was in that kind of um, found footage yep. style filmmaking, which was faintly ridiculous because, you know, back then it was, you know, for them to be carrying a camera around some of those some of those yes. scenes was impossible. Um, but I did like it that the only likable character apart from the monster <laughs> was was the uh, guy holding the camera yeah. um because the rest of them were awful yeah, it's, people it's weird yeah um it's almost like they're just they're characters that are created to be stamped mm. out um but yeah I, I i did enjoy it i really did i thought it was a really well-paced action film in terms of you know a to B chase kind of thing, yeah, um, with some interesting things on the way. Bloodfield Lane is good, and, uh, um, and I like. Oh right, I'm going to watch yeah. that one next. And I like, I like, I like the um, the fact that it kept cutting into the old film um, where it had been recorded over, yes. and then right at the end, there's a. I, I I saw it out of the corner of my eye, but there's a scene where they're on um, uh, where are they Coney mm. Island, and uh, you can see in the distance a little um, meteorite hit the water uh, and that's, that's the end of the film and that's kind of where it all begins yeah I guess yeah. so um, is it some kind of Godzilla creature yes so but none, nothing's explained no. is it and, and and I thought that the this, I thought the subsequent films because the two guys I was reading an interview last night was that they were going to explore other found footage or other footage of the same incident yeah but that doesn't seem to no happen. so there's, there's there's no real reference to the first film in the second one um, and the third film does try and explain how everything has come to be but again in a very strange way um, yes so uh, Clovefield good Clovefield Paradox bad <laughs> pretty much you, so you've been spending a lot of time uh, from things that drop to the earth to things that fly out of the mm. earth um, you've been getting very excited about something this week. What's I was that? super ex- excited about uh, SpaceX's um, Falcon Heavy launch. Uh, so Elon Musk, f- founder of PayPal or co-founder of PayPal, multi-billionaire, uh, playboy, uh, Tony Stark alike, uh, has been launching his Falcon 9 rocket for the last couple of years. Managed to launch 18 of them last year, which is a launch record for any uh, rocket, let alone a commercial private rocket. Um, And he's been talking about the Falcon Heavy for a long time, which is basically three of his Falcon 9 rockets strapped together to uh, give it more lift. So it's uh, as powerful as the special launch system. And he managed to launch it this week. So he'd given it a 50-50 chance of uh, succeeding. He thought if it doesn't blow up on the launch pad and destroy the launch complex, he'd consider it a success. Um, But he managed to achieve a bit more than that. So he managed to launch the rocket, retrieve both side boosters in an incredible uh, synchronised sort of balletic display as they flipped round at the edge of space and... uh, and landed almost simultaneously back in Florida. He didn't quite manage to uh, to recover the central booster, which crashed into the ocean. Um, and he managed to put his car into um, an orbit around the sun, 
so with test rockets, you you tend to just demonstrate what they can what they can carry. So you'll have a payload which is full of sensors uh, for test purposes, and and quite often uh, a mass of concrete. So Elon, being a bit of a showman, didn't want to do that. So he launched his uh, his very own Tesla convertible sports car into space, and um, it's going to orbit the sun for uh, a long time. He thinks, uh, I think he said billions of years. I think a lot of people think uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of years. It will probably get perturbed by the interaction with the gravity of Mars and Earth and all uh, and its uh, orbit will be tweaked. Or it will so. run out of batteries. <laughs> well, it ran out of batteries after 12 hours. Um, but it was pretty spectacular when the fairing came I thought off. He was, I thought it was pretty tacky. Well, it is. There's been, he's taken a lot of flack for, one, for the payload, so his decision to launch this car into orbit. People have you know said he's contributing to space junk and it's a, a flashy uh, advertisement for Tesla cars and it's serves no purpose but you know I think it got an, an an amazing amount of people very excited or interested in this launch which is simply a test launch of a rocket um, so I think it served its purpose in in that respect and and it and it and it's a first because he's now outstripping government rocket power yeah because it's the most powerful payload delivery system in the it world is. isn't it um and will be for some time. So NASA are, are kind of pushing ahead with uh, the SLS, a space, space launch system, which will be much more powerful, but they think it's probably going to cost about a billion dollars per launch, whereas the Falcon Heavy can be launched for about $90 million. Um, so he's going to get a lot of business. He's going to get a lot of business. Uh, weirdly, the, uh, of people wanting to launch... Blocks of concrete yeah. in space. At the minute, he's he's only got one <laughs> definite customer for uh, Falcon Heavy, which is a, a big uh, Middle Eastern communication satellite. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many uh, missions kind of uh, go over to him that were scheduled for the for other launch systems or for the space launch system by NASA. But I thought it was pretty mm. spectacular. So Falcon Heavy, it sounds a bit like a northern stout, doesn't it? <laughs> it does a bit, doesn't it? It's a great name for a beer. I'm sure I'm sure one will be coming along no soon. No doubt. Uh, so what about your week? What's on, what's on your desk? What have you been up to? Oh, I've been doing press ads and web banners. Oh, how exciting. Yeah, days of them. Really, really boring. Wow. What manner of client is that for? Didn't know anyone did press ads anymore. Oh yeah, exhibitions, and um, because all of the publications that um, that are read by mechanics mainly and garages right. are printed, of course, yes, and then hung upon the uh, wall. But printed terribly, and also you know with lots of gradients, lots of drop shadows, um, button effects that I'd forgotten even <laughs> existed in Photoshop, and yeah, all sorts of random bits and bobs. I got sent a, a template of a magazine today. And uh, they packaged up the fonts and <laughs> all the fonts were different makes and different types, even though, you know, so for example, there was DIN, mm. DIN, uh, and that, but they were about three different <laughs> manufacturers of the same font. <laughs> it's like, I don't think you're licensing yeah. your, your typefaces 
um, even though you're a pub- publication. Uh, so yeah, so I've been doing that and web banners, but they've gone for um, they're sim- they're only small. It's only a, well, it's an event, but they've got four templates now that they're kind of trying to uh, you know break down into sub brands. So it means I've got to create four ad templates, which is you know is fine, but four web banners and with about twenty different sizes uh, of each one. Oh, yeah, it's not fun, is it? No, it's really, really boring. It's about 80-something web Oof. banners. Yeah, and I did 20 today and just gave up. <laughs> it was so boring. <laughs> I thought, and I just wrote them, I'm going to be a bit late uh, with this. <laughs> I couldn't be bothered to carry on. I'm getting to that age now where I can actually just, I, you know, I've got the the confidence <laughs> just, well, not confidence, I don't know. The tired the tired nature just to uh, turn around. I, and um, my daughter's been getting up at three o'clock in the morning most mornings this week so i'm feeling a bit but what else have been doing i i went for a long run on sunday rob 10 miles I did. that is long and i ran in i ran in silence i didn't take any headphones How very monastic and yeah i really enjoyed it just my dog yeah. and ran some beautiful beautiful but very muddy countryside mm. do you what's your normal running music oh all sorts whatever okay. Yeah. Not like, uh, you know, bit of, uh, bit of old school house or anything. Bit of house. I did I did put some house on today because I was doing... Um, oh, this is so boring. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> but I was doing some sprint training. And uh, so that was, you know, I had some banging house. Does it work? Whatever that is. <laughs> uh, no. What else have we been doing? I've been... I've started a book with Kitty. Ursula Le Guin died last mm. week. And another great... Um, fancy writer that I never read as a kid is Alan Garner. Right. Have you ever I read any? So. I, I mean, the name, no. uh, you know, I know the name. But this one's called The Owl Service, which is absolutely fantastic. If you like The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper and that series mm. of books, this is the sort of the precursor to that. I think it's written early 60s and it's about a Welsh valley where there's a legend of some well, the Welsh, the owl service is actually a ser- service of dinner plates. Okay. They're hidden in a um, in a loft, and there's there's this scratching sound, and these kids go and investigate what it is. And it turns out it's these owls on, on these plates. Oh. It's really, really good. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Rivers of London. I've been reading the the second graphic yeah. novel, which is about Russian witches. Cool. Bit of Nazi bashing, bit of wizards and London. What's not I to like? I must catch up on the books. Yes, they're good. I'll, I'll lend them to you. Uh, Dark, um, the German series on Netflix. Yeah. Very. I finished that last night. Is it a good ending? Yes, and it's set itself up for another series. Mm. It's good. I cool. really enjoyed it. I will it. watch that at some point. Other than that, I've worked a bit on Ellie Press and been working with you on some Ellie mm. Press stuff. And I've redesigned my office, and so uh, I'm going to completely redo oh. it. Uh, so I need to I need to go off to That's Ikea. That's quite exciting. And what are you going to do? I'm swapping over. So I'm going to um, basically mirror image the office at the moment because then I can get a trestle table in for my printer and all that yep. stuff and shelving on the wall. Uh, because where it is at the moment, I can't drill into the wall because the main um, mains unit is directly uh, okay. behind it <laughs> with all the wires right, coming yes, into it. I don't want to go yeah. anywhere near it. And just get get loads more shelving on the wall because I've got so much paper yeah. now. Are you? Yep. Are you? Have you become kind of a, a paper geek? Not really. No. Can I, you recognise a, a, a cold pressed 
cotton rag from 50 yards? <laughs> Not really. I just stick with a couple of types that I really like. They're just the the reliable ones, the ones that don't make me reprint yeah. things. So I'm down to yeah, Hannah Muller. I have to say are the are the bee's knees in mm. papers, um, and the cheaper ones are not so good because they leave uh, like fragments of um, paper on 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 the actual surface, and you print it, and then when you lift it up, it falls off and leaves a white dot, which is not, not ideal frustrating yes. so it's best to just go with the with the most expensive but then again you know the the percentage difference is is nothing it's like 10 percent more expensive because all the papers are yeah. expensive so no i'm no i'm not a, i'm not a paper bore it's got to be bright white with a nice texture and that that'll do me fair enough yeah boring like that i've been really no, it's not boring. boring what's uh what's sherlock knight uh i bought a, bought a new board oh. game that my wife can play what? that doesn't involve like you know fantasy yeah. figures or sci-fi or anything like that and it's a uh, collaborative sherlock holmes oh, game does jess know she's going to be playing this yes in which we hunt the uh, jack the ripper wow that sound that sounds good yeah well it's a french game do report back i will uh so what have we got in uh terms of news what else have you got for us your favorite uh mouthpiece the twitter has finally mm-hmm. made a profit. Um, it's bizarre, it, isn't it? it? I'm surprised it has made a profit. It's made a profit by being much, much worse than when it started. Mm. And uh, when you go on the website, it just makes me want to cry. The news that it gives me and the things that are promoted, they're just, they're so not what Twitter is all about. Uh, it's getting more and more like Facebook, yes. if you ask me. And the, the whole sort of uh, conversational thing is being drowned out with advertising. Yeah, they should they should have a, a premium offering, as should Instagram. You know, pay so much a year and get a, a, a bog standard chronological feed of uh, news from the people you follow. I think there'd be a lot of takers for that. Yeah, it's going to be... Do you think there's going to be a, a level of these social media things that come out i mean i get you know there was um myspace and um and that's obviously died a death mm. but do you think that these ones are here to stay the main ones twitter no i, I don't think they will i mean there was there was uh, an article a few years ago doing the rounds about uh, networks social networks of any kind uh, have about an 11 year lifespan well i think um facebook has exceeded that now but um but no i think other things will will take over. I mean, I don't think Twitter is particularly appealing to young kids, is it, or teenagers? It seems to be that, you know, they prefer Snapchat um, and probably other social networks that I've never even heard of. So, uh, you know, I think in 10 years' time, five years' time, Twitter will be something completely different. Um, and who knows about Facebook? It's taking a, a different route. It's becoming a portal to the to the internet, isn't it? For a lot of its users, who who consume all their kind of content and browsing goes through Facebook. You know, the, the news they get is from Facebook. Um, uh, all their interaction with with other people is through Facebook. Um, so Facebook has probably got more longevity in it than. Um, Twitter, I'd say. So, in terms of like, in, I guess Instagram started off as this kind of uh, a way of styling your photos. Mm. Uh, it wasn't really a sharing platform, was it? It was kind of like you could 
put effects on yeah. your photos and there was this sharing add-on and it but it was the sharing add-on that really made it yeah. grow um but now uh, i guess it's it's shifted in in a long in a lot of ways um for artists and designers um and creatives to use as a kind of promotional tool and so therefore its original design isn't what most people are using it for especially commercially so can you can you fault the owners doing what they're doing well the thing is i don't know how you know you say about it's been used as a creative place for artists designers and yes it is used for that but again this is a bit kind of like the the echo chamber because that's what I am on Instagram and because that's the kind of people I follow. That's that's all I see. But I assume, you know, the vast majority of the, I don't know, four or five hundred million people that use Instagram are still taking pictures of their dinner or their dog or their cat. Or both. Uh, or both. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it is, it is kind of the out-and-out creative platform that it appears to be. Um, but no, you can't really blame them. I mean, it's a free service, isn't it? You know, they can do what they like with it. It's, you know, the people who use it can complain when they change stuff, but it's a free service that, you know, they never made any promises to us. So yeah, they should be, uh, entitled to, to make it what they want in order to make money from it. Different if we were all paying for it, we could all kick up a fuss then and complain. So they've made $91 million profit, um, which is a turnaround from $167 million mm. loss, which is quite a significant growth. Isn't it is. It? And I guess that's um, ad sales. And uh, I doubt that the shift to more characters has made a huge impression yet. No. Um, but at the same time, also, it's now a platform for big mouths and um, and bigots and racists. Uh, and whether the profitability in that makes it any less worthy, mm. I don't know. Uh, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I certainly think I certainly uh, think that's going to be a story for the next couple of years with Facebook, YouTube, uh, and Twitter. Whether or not they can keep up this pretense that they are not publishers they're not media companies you know they say they simply provide a platform for people to publish content you know to create their own content which uh means that they don't have any sort of duty or any responsibility for the content that's produced on their platforms Hmm. Um, but i don't think that argument's going to hold up much longer i think governments around the world are uh are going to legislate that social networks are in effect, media companies or publishing companies. I think that it's just plainly wrong, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Do you think? No, I, I agree completely. I, you know, I think uh, well, I, well, traditional media w- wouldn't get away with it, would they? You know, you no. couldn't have uh, Nazis taking out uh, incendiary adverts in um, in uh, in the mainstream press. So why should they be allowed to publish videos on YouTube or uh, insult and harass people on Twitter? Um, mm. So yeah, they've got a lot of work to do to to bring themselves uh, in line with other companies. I think if we go over to mainstream uh, media, um, 
there's a um, they're starting to look at other ways of raising money and there's been a really um great looking promotion this week uh, anthony burrell mm-hmm. printer designer um gadabout uh if you like gadabouting on kent islands he uh, has got a book coming out, but it's um, coming out through a company called Volume, and their website is vol.co, Volco, um, and they are doing crowdfunding for their books, but it's backed by Thames and Hudson. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I think that the big publishers are starting to see that they can reduce their risk but also produce really niche and interesting mm. works which is which is really fantastic um and i read a bit more about them and it's um darren wall the designer is behind okay. the whole thing uh, and he's read only memory who made all those fantastic yeah. books on video games uh, like the uh, speedball yeah. and he did the speedball poster recently that we uh, we were praising to uh, to heaven and back it's just made its money. It's just made over ten grand. So if you go to uh, vol dot co and uh, and have a look at the Anthony Burrell book, which is going to be called Look and See, uh, it's a collection of all the ephemera and uh, inspiration behind some of his yeah. prints. Well, it makes absolute sense for publishing companies to do yeah. this, doesn't it? You know, we've seen the the success that Kickstarter and Unbound, particularly in the publishing field, can have. So why wouldn't they do this? It's a great uh, I think they've been really canny. If you you know, if they, they've they've got uh, a really great designer who's got proven track mm. record in producing um, beautiful looking books, and they've done a brilliant job. The website looks absolutely beautiful. The products look fantastic, and you know you're going to get something quality. And it's not massively expensive to back to the, for the for the book. Uh, it's twenty five yeah. quid. Uh, and you can ramp it up to 50 and you get it in a slip case and you get some extra bits and bobs. But I'd say that's a really good price for a, um, you know, a, a limited edition Absolutely. Yeah. book. And you can ramp it so, all the way up to 295 quid and go spend uh, a day in, a, in Anthony Burrell's workshop. Which can would you? be wow. marvellous. Down in Rye, he's based. Is that yeah. where he is? Ah, I thought he was on an island yeah, somewhere. down in Rye. Oh, right. Yeah, so they made ten thousand six hundred and seventeen. And do you know what? I'm going to actually buy that book. Mm, I've got. Uh, I've got uh, one I, don't, of his books. I don't often buy. Yeah. Are you a fan oh, of his work? His book. I've got uh, his. Yeah. Uh, How does he get that crisp look to his work? It, it is so perfect in in the way that he sets type. I don't know. It's all he. He actually started doing these because in Rye there was uh, a printing company that used to do sale posters for some of the shops in Rye. And he now, I don't know if he only uses this print company, but he works with them and I think, you know, I don't know if he's part of it now. Um, but it's like a little, quite an old-fashioned print company. Oh, right. How fam- yeah. fabulous. Well, Because, you know, have you been to yes, Rye? love it. Because uh, it's got the most amazing antique mm. shops in it hasn't it or sort of uh junk it's a fantastic shops. place uh, it's a great place to stay that I, I went there to the george with jessica yeah drinking my tea out of a george uh, mug that i smuggled out of the hotel at the minute <laughs> well i told you I, I told you when i i went there and i came down for breakfast and there was this booming voice coming from the bar as i came down the stairs and uh, i thought that sounds like tom baker and it was Tom Good Baker Lord. having a pint. It was nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he was at the bar having a pint. And he was there because the town had knitted 
a, uh, a super long scarf for um, <laughs> charity and he was wearing it in the middle wow. of the high street <laughs> and he was telling the most you know bawdy yes. stories um and uh it was just it just made my entire weekend oh, fantastic he's massive he's a big well. guy isn't he yeah yeah that was a that was a, a great yeah moment. yes i love right love the george love anthony burrell yeah that was a good one that my next bit of news is 2000 ad a comic i love although no longer still read uh is having an all-female sci-fi special in June this year. So all the creative teams behind the stories uh, are women. Uh, so the magazine's summer special will feature an all-male creative team headlined by Alex DeCampi, Tilly Walden, Katie Rex, uh, Maura McHugh, Laura Bailey, Emily Zayner, and Tula Lote. Um I think it's a brilliant idea. 2008 has long been jam-packed full of great female characters. Halo Jones and Judge Anderson, uh, Durham Red. And uh, it's about time that the female creators behind 2000 AD uh, were kind of celebrated. So I think that's uh, a cracking idea and good to see 2000 AD doing that. So that's going to come out in June. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's for, for especially for a comic that you associate with um, slightly sweaty, unshaven absolutely teenage boys. Uh, I've seen they've got some uh, quite a lot of books coming out this year. Yeah, they're doing um, a lot of they're kind of doing a lot of stuff at the minute. Two thousand AD. Well, traditionally their reproductions uh, of of old stories have been in terrible mm. quality, haven't they? Uh, though there's ones at the moment, the Rogue Troopers and the Judge Dread. I can't I can't read them. They're you know they're printed on bog paper. Yeah, it'd be nice to see them on nice white crisp paper. It would. Yeah, but whenever I read a, a, a little story about 2008, I always think oh, I should start reading it again. Um, <laughs> you didn't. You, you tried. I tried it, well, didn't I only you? tried one, one, uh, right. one edition, and didn't appreciate it at all. But. Uh, <laughs> you know, I should give it another go. Uh, what's your next story, Jonathan? Well, there's two news items linked together. The first one is um, Brendan Dawes, uh, designer and inventor, mm-hmm. uh, highlighted an advert from Goldsmiths that went out, I think, this week's, uh, uh, asking, uh, offering a, a position as a computational arts residency at Goldsmiths right. College in London. He was incredulous, I think, when the um, when he found out the amount of money that they were offering the person who uh, to become an artist in residence. Okay. They were going to pay them the print for three months. They were going to pay them the princely sum of £500. For three months? Yeah. Wow. Now, as you know, somebody pointed out on, on his Twitter feed, well, you know, for some people they're going to be outraged and some people they're not going to be outraged. And it's like, yeah, welcome to Twitter. But it's impossible for anybody to exist in London unless they're living, you know, yeah. under their parents' roof or on a nice trust to uh, do that for five hundred pounds. Which kind of it's just so it goes so much against the grain of trying to support the arts. It's very weird, it? and it and it just says there's they're putting absolutely no value into what you know, into how they perceive art. Mm. Um, I imagine that somebody doing a law, <laughs> in a, a lawyer in residence or some kind of, you know, lecture 
um, circuit. They would just laugh at that sum. 500 pounds an hour. Yeah. Well, Brendan Dawes says, you know, later on, he says, you know, the the guest lecture would get between 250 and 350 pounds for Mm. for an hour's lecture. So to offer that for three months' work is is a is a bit of a joke. It is a bit, isn't it? I wonder if they're are they seeing it a little bit like a, like a, a a laureate, you know, where they get paid uh, ten quid and a and a barrel of mead or something, and you you do it for the love of it. It's very weird. That led me on to another story that was on earlier in the week that um, a chap called Mark Johns, who's an artist, has uh, has had a load of his work ripped off, which is not uncommon um, no. of, for, for poor illustrators who are putting their work on, online, especially if their their works like his is quite simplistic in a kind of David Shrigley yep. style. <clears throat> and it was an Instagram from uh, an actress called Drew Barrymore. I believe she was in a, a film <laughs> called The Extraterrestrial. Yes. She put uh, a picture of her kid wearing a jacket with one of his pieces of work on it. And he was like, uh, "That's I didn't license that <laughs> anywhere. Uh, it turns out that they've not just licensed, they've not just nicked it that particular jacket but they've uh, that design but they've nicked um uh, tons and tons of his work and are selling it illegally um and there's this kind of if you pay people 500 pounds for three month residency then that's the kind of value that you put on the work and that's why people think that there's no value in um intellectual property i read that there's a there's a big difference between the uh, far or the the east and the west in terms of intellectual property, but I think that's a load of old baloney, and I think that people will just nick stuff and water you know watermarks don't yep. matter. They just Photoshop it out um, because they're lazy and uh, they think that they can get away. I see with it all it. the time um, on Twitter, artists, yeah. uh, you know, tweeting out pictures of you know a high street brand that's just nicked their illustrations and, and slapped it on a t shirt or a whatever drew barrymore was was uh you know she actually responded mm. to this i mean you know she doesn't have to um but she did um offer to pay and she got in touch with the original company etc etc so you know she's done the yeah, right thing and, and she shouldn't be blamed yeah. for that she just bought a jacket yeah. it's uh and and some of the story is 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 uncomfortable in the fact that we've got this kind of like i mean call it liberal like moaning you know (laughs) that goes on about it um saying it's the most outrageous thing i've ever seen as if you know they'd torn this guy's arms out of his body um but uh no it's just you're never going to be able to protect against this um but it's just good that somebody who's in the public uh domain has turned around and said yeah this isn't a cool thing so um uh, yeah, so I feel for you, Mark Johns, um, and hope you get uh, in touch with the company and get some some money from them. Yeah. Um, but I just don't know how you fix this while you treat while people treat art as a yeah, as a freebie. Super tough. My last bit of news is uh, an advert. We don't often feature adverts, or it's kind of an advert. It's uh, it's one of these kind of uh, collaborative films. So it's. Uh, uh, called Quattro 2 and it's an Audi advert film and it's done in conjunction with a, a skier called Candide Thervex or Thervex uh, that's my dungeon <laughs> yeah. uh, and it is a uh, beautiful oh I'm just it watching a, it oh I've seen this yeah, one already it is yeah. a cracking bit of filmmaking so this guy 
skis everywhere there is no snow. So he's skiing down mountains, down sand dunes, down temples, across roads, through Africa and India. And it's uh, it is beautifully done uh, and fantastically edited. And it's a great little ad for the go anywhere nature of an Audi Quattro, which is what it's promoting. Um, mm. And the, the, they can go anywhere, north, south, east, or west London. <laughs> uh, and it's nice as well to see an ad that doesn't really feature the product, um, but you know, still still works as an ad. Um, yeah, I like yes, that a it, lot. It is, it is, it's got a. Um, the edit style is 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 quite non-filmic, mm. isn't it? It's very much uh, of the kind of GoPro yeah. style of, of yeah. filming. Um, but he, he, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> he's a bit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, our topic of the week is bad design. And um, by bad design, we don't mean inept. We don't mean a bad bit of kerning. Uh, we mean evil design or unethical design. I guess. So this all came about from a, a tweet I saw a couple of weeks ago. And I thought... Oh, have you remembered what this and was? And I thought, that's a great topic for the show. Can yeah. I remember what that was? <laughs> I have racked... <laughs> I thought you'd no, remember. I've racked my brains. I've looked everywhere. Mm. I mean, I, I was convinced that I'd sort of sent you a message about it. Um, but I can find no. But nothing. I th- didn't we talk about it on the show, or was I it when we were know. talking on the phone? We must have been, we must have oh. spoke about it on the phone. Um, so anyway, can't remember what uh, what uh, prompted this, but my feelings on on this kind of bad design I always come back to a talk that I saw given by Milton Glaser. I've spoken about that on the show before, uh, but he talks about this. Uh, slippery ethical slope that you can uh, you're in danger of sliding down if you're a designer particularly in advertising Uh, and he talks about you might be asked to advertise something or design the packaging for something in order to enhance its claims to exaggerate its benefits or to minimize its risks so you might design soup packaging that uh, uh, extols the virtues of that particular broth making it look healthy and fresh uh, pointing out it's high fiber but carefully minimising the fact that it's, you know, got enough salt to dehydrate an elephant. Um, and then maybe you, you know, you've, you've kind of done that job and you think you're fine, your kind of ethical barometer is, is steady. Um, but next time maybe you're working on a product that you know is unhealthy, but you're tasked with making it attractive to consumers. So maybe it's alcohol or tobacco or gambling. Again, nothing illegal. You're just selling the product of a big mainstream company. It just happens to be a questionable product. So maybe that's your line. Maybe the soup is your line. Maybe you, you know, as a designer, you've got that line in the sand and you won't, you won't uh, try and bend the truth in any way. Uh, or maybe that gambling or tobacco advertising is your is your line in the sand. You you won't do that. Or maybe not. So maybe you'll do that. Um, and what comes after that? Well, maybe it's a product that is definitely unequivocally bad. So you might end up designing a brochure for an arms company or a newsletter for uh, the manufacturer of an air-to-air missile or a fact sheet for a sniper rifle, um, which is something that I've done um, in my younger days. 
and I thought it was quite cool at the time. I did not, it was one of my first jobs as a graphic designer. Uh, and I didn't really think about the implications of it. You, you know, you used to kind of assume, oh, it's, you know, it's sold to the British military and it must kind of be okay. But, you know, that's very much not the case. So if we, uh, if we sort of allow ourselves to, to continue down this slippery slope, you know, where does it end? Um, is that, is that the road that everyone takes that eventually ends up designing something that is, uh, unquestionably bad? Um, or do some, you know, do some designers, you know, kind of leap in with both feet into, into that bad camp? Or to work on certain projects or for certain people or on certain campaigns? Do you have to do you have to be part of that thing? So if you're designing promo stuff for UKIP or Britain First, I assume you've got to be a believer. You know, that I can't imagine there are many designers who would without believing in their aims would would work for them. But then you know, I can't imagine that everyone who designs anything for the Daily Mail uh, is a far-right bigot. <laughs> but, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to someone who, who works for the Daily Mail, who designs stuff for the Daily Mail, and find out how they justify it. Yeah, my wife's got a friend whose husband was a designer, at, I think it was for Nuts, or okay. one of those... You know, slightly grubby lag mags. And he hated every waking Mm. minute of working there, but worked there for a long time. And that's often the case, isn't it? That uh, you just get stuck in a job um, and you don't represent what that company does. So I think think in a lot of senses, in a lot of examples, uh, especially sort of low-grade political manifestos or pamphlets or whatever, they're done at the printers, yes, aren't they? Yes, a lot of them will be, yeah. Uh, and they're not really typeset or when they come through the door here, the UKIP ones, I always open them up and, you know, the typos fall yeah. out. <laughs> you don't even have to look for them um, because they're just, they're poorly done. Then there's no attention mm. to detail because nobody cares about the messaging that they're it's laying the message, out. not the messaging. Yeah. Um, also, to, to defend your uh, to Jesse's friend who worked on notes, I think a lot of those publications kind of raced for the bottom, didn't they? In uh, in competition with each other, you know, they started off as 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 kind of almost a legitimate lifestyle mag that you know happened to have some or well, loaded yeah, exactly an FHM, yeah. um, but you know, very sort of rapidly chased ratings by you know having more and more boobs on show. Yeah, definitely. My my mate um, used to work for IPC, and he worked. Uh, you know, several. I think it was called. It was at King's Reach Tower. It's one of the yes. big yeah. tower blocks uh, up at Waterloo, and uh, he he uh, he worked several floors below, loaded. Um, but they would regularly uh, gaffer tape some poor, unsuspecting office worker to a t- chair and push them into the lift. <laughs> half naked and then just randomly uh send them to different Jeez. floors and he was said you know the, the lift used to open and this person was like just taped to a yeah. chair like, yeah that's the yeah, loaded can't imagine the working james, james brown yeah, wasn't can't it imagine the working practices were particularly no. delightful 
Blimey. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because if you're a young, especially if you're a young designer, uh, it's easy for a, an older designer who's p- perhaps working for themselves, they can say yes or no. But if you're working for an agency that perhaps you really, really mm-hmm. admire and love, um, but that agency is then owned by, I don't know, a Tory peer yeah. or or, uh, or uh, some kind of political um, uh, activist or whatever, you are going to have to follow in their wherever they take yep. you aren't you? you you're going to have to do those kind of the, the the jobs that you that will make you feel uncomfortable and you have to decide whether there's another job you can go to um and for some people that's incredibly difficult to do because they feel incredibly loyal to the team that they yep. work in uh so it's it, it's easy my weirdly my first job as a freelancer uh, I worked for a printer and they gave me a job, uh, a brochure. And I have to admit, I had no idea how to lay out <laughs> anything smaller than a large billboard. Um, and it was for, but it was a brochure for British American Tobacco. Mm. Yeah. Who, you know, they're not, I wouldn't say they're the most, uh, <laughs> they were very nice people, mm. but um, they were cigarettes in, you know, in every room. They were cigarettes. You could just pick up cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> and just you know smoke away in the in the uh, in the offices at the time um i didn't really focus on the on the cigarettes there but um but i did feel uncomfortable even though i was doing yeah. that one and it was my first job um and i worked for a long time for property developers and uh, you know if you want one level lower than an estate agent then <laughs> the property developer is there for you uh and uh, i felt really uncomfortable with that um but I did it because that was the job yeah. I was doing at the time. I think you're so uh, safe with uh, working for property developers. Um, the property developer agencies—they are the agencies that are entirely set up to deal with that. They are pretty poor themselves. I've worked with some real yeah. shady characters. Uh, and I, another one that I was thinking of, yeah, I was working on who were doing work at an arms fair and that made me feel incredibly Yeah, so I did a lot of that when I was working for an agency based in Farnham. So they weren't that far from Farnborough. There's lots of aviation companies and they used to do lots for the Farnborough ratio. Um, so they used to do brochures and fact sheets for, for Thales who used to make, uh, I don't know, uh, air-to-air missiles and things. Um, and you can have, you know, as a 22 year old designer in his first job, you know, there's an element of it's, oh, this is really cool. But, um, but yeah, looking back, I could never do that now. I don't know wh- how I would, I don't know how I'd deal with that situation there now. I guess. There's also an interest, uh, there's an interesting debate to be had about where, what is bad mm. and, and how, what do you say, what is bad? I mean, to the usual liberal, slightly liberal design creative uh, would be uh, anything right wing, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots at the minute about this kind of creeping uh, dictatorship that that America might be walking into with, uh, you know, the commander in chief uh, demanding a parade in his honour and um, and the, you know the the government websites deleting whole. Uh, sections on climate change or things like that. And I, I guess a lot of people who work for the government or government agencies in America are being put in some really awkward positions at the minute where they've been asked to do things that they absolutely don't believe in. Um, 
but you know it's their job to to produce literature or you know to work on the websites um, according to the the diktats that come from above um, so it must be pretty pretty rough for for a lot of them I think at the minute mm. Um, you, when uh, things like the uh, Environmental Protection Agency deleted all the uh, details on climate change from from their uh, departmental website, there was kind of a slew of Twitter accounts that came up. And they must really have only come from people who worked within the, the agency uh, talking about kind of what was going on in the agency and, and putting links to uh, cached... Uh, versions of all the pages and stuff, kind of, uh, you know, still trying to do the the good fight from within. Yeah, well, wasn't someone's Twitter account deleted from in- internally? Yes, uh, that was that? Trump, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, was it? it his uh, his account was deleted for ten or eleven hours, wasn't it? And uh, it was someone from within Twitter uh, did that. I don't know what happened to that person. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was their last day at Twitter, and they decided to. Yeah, I, I find it bizarre that you know that, that a company that purports to be, you know, um, fair and, uh, and and pro democracy can allow such nonsense to be uh, spouted in its under. Well, that's its their name. entire defence, isn't it? They say it would be, you know, misleading and uh, kind of censorship because everything that Trump has to say is of such public interest that they have to allow his account to continue. Um, but, you know, the, Trump is a, a problem on Twitter, but, you know, this, it's all the, the kind of littler people that are peddling outright uh, kind of in your face racism and bigotry that they need to get a handle on first I think and then there'd be mm. no one else left for uh, Trump to retweet and claim he didn't know what he was doing <clears throat> um, I was going to talk about you know kind of talking about bad design and evil design I was I was kind of going to dig into uh, some of the uh, the, the kind of uh, origins of some of the, the kind of out-and-out evil designs, like the, the swastika or the jihadist black flag. But actually, I, I kind of looked at that, and, and a lot of them have very, uh, you know, the histories of those go, go back an awful long way, and they're, um, they've just been kind of uh, grabbed by uh, these, these uh, hatred organisations for for you know their own use um but i actually thought it might be more interesting to talk about some more modern incarnations of evil design and i managed to think of three that i think uh, are kind of pretty evil and the people who who came up with them uh i wonder how well they sleep at night <laughs> well the first wrong? one i thought of, of was uh, microtransactions in games. In, ga- in yeah, games, yeah. So these yeah. are these deliberate, persuasive gaming mechanisms that encourage people, often young people, to make tiny little purchases to advance in a game. So it's, you know, uh, you know, do you want your do, do you want to wait five days for your, for your 
characters to finish building their castle, or do you want to pay, you know, a dollar of in-game money to have it built instantly? And that's nothing, you know, it might have cost you pennies, you know, but then it encourages you to, to do that, to advance the game and to advance quicker within the game. And people rack up staggering amounts of money. Um, you know, I've paid, played Candy Crush and I've tried playing Clash of Clans and I hated it. But on on these games, you can buy 80 quid's worth of kind of in-game uh, currency at a time. I mean, that's just... That's a staggering amount of money to be able to... Uh, to buy. I know there are kind of parental controls and a lot of young kids will be able to, to spend on in-app purchases. But a lot of people are much more technically literate than their parents and will be able to get around that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I really don't like about games. Well, that progresses, doesn't it, to the sort of micro-betting mm. and spread betting yeah. that is now really, really yeah, popular. Absolutely. Uh, I. I there aren't many things well there are quite a lot of things that make me really angry but one of the ga- gambling adverts on television yep. I just think should Absolutely, be banned I agree outright completely. Uh, and, and they have no use in uh, a decent society yeah. uh, there's no entertainment value there's no uh, benefic- uh, benefit to um, education or anything like that It they are just purely uh, parasitical yeah. and they knowingly target who, the poor don't they as well yeah so I would say, yeah, I if I had a um, a betting company or anything to do with gambling, that would be my red, yeah, um, my red line would be my red line, my red light would light <laughs> yeah. up. Um, so another of these modern incarnations of evil, tick boxes. <laughs> what on so the mailing tick list. boxes uh, that when you fill in a form, you get a couple of tick boxes at the bottom, and it's they can be so cleverly but evilly written so it's tick here if you don't want not to be contacted by one of our partners <laughs> but you're not allowed to, that 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 is passing into law this it year, is isn't it? but uh you know it's long overdue and and yeah. sometimes you know you'll there'll be several tick boxes some of them will be automatically ticked uh yeah. and then some of them, some will be left for you to tick uh yeah or you tick one and the other one yeah tick. and it is uh it's evil yeah but that's business owners. That's what they, you know, they. Or, or co- I constantly get asked to. Uh, do we have to? Can't we just add people to our mm-hmm. mailing list? And do we really have to have tick boxes? And uh, do we have to, you know, even ask their yeah. permission? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but you know, people still buy mailing lists. Don't they, they do. Yeah. Well, my uh, website of the week follow up a bit on uh, people buying uh, that kind of thing. Uh, my other, mm. the other thing I thought was was clickbait. So whoever invented, you know, these kind of clickbait style articles. So you've read yeah. an article in a in a a, a, a a proper journal. You know, you've you've been reading a an article on particle physics in New Scientist. As you do for yep. breakfast. Uh, and then at the bottom it'll be, uh, you know, you won't believe what these celebrities look like now. Or, 26 celebrities you thought were dead but aren't kind of thing um and they prey on your curiosity and you know that it's going to be rubbish 
but you you know people do find themselves clicking on these things and they is that a, is that a designer doing that well it's an editorial decision that's you know a designer's built some part of it isn't it bloody designers yeah, exactly and the pictures obviously often have very little to do with the article <laughs> well I'm mindful that we're well okay. over time so I think this is something that we could come back to and actually look at the historical yeah. um, bad designs because we've got loads to talk Absolutely. about there but it's a brilliant conversation mm. um, I'm going to open a beer How are you? you tell me about your website well my website of the week is an article not a website. It was. Uh, it's called the Follower Factory. Oh. <laughs> uh, what's that? What are you drinking? Buckham. Sorry, no. I said, what are you drinking? <laughs> My wife got me this because she said I have to say the word "butt" on uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Buckham Brewing Company original. Is it, is it pleasant to drop? Yeah. I've I've already drunk a, a Timothy okay. Taylor's, but uh, it was a it's a it's a limited edition Knoll Spring Blondale. Uh-huh. And I have to say, it was oh, delicious. I've, I've gone beerless this week. Have you been on the beers this well, week? Well, no, just because I had a few days off the, the diet when my parents were here. So uh, mm, That's a nice beer. Yeah. That's a traditional um, caramelly, malty English mm, bitter. Good. Mm, that's going to go well with my pie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my article of the week, uh, The Follower Factory in the New York Times, and it is about a company called... Uh, Devumi. Oh so yeah. This is a, I yeah so this, this is a company that will uh, enhance your social media profile. <laughs> so these these guys are evil, they are. right? Uh, so yeah. they well, they absolutely are because uh, it it seems quite a, a a flippant trivial thing. So you can pay them and you will get more Twitter followers or Instagram likes or. LinkedIn endorsements or even SoundCloud listens. Uh, and often, you know, it's quite a small amount of money for, you know, a huge amount of followers. Um, but um, the way they go about this is evil because they steal people's identities and photographs from the web, from other social media, and then use that, then that. use that to, to populate these fake accounts. So this, uh, the New York Times article starts talking about this girl called Jessica Richley, who's a Minnesota teenager, and her um, her persona was stolen, um, and it's been promoting uh, accounts for Canadian real estate investments, cryptocurrencies, a radio station in Ghana, the fake Jessica followed or retweeted accounts using Arabic and Indonesian languages, uh, her fake counterpart promoted pornography, retweet, re- retweeted porn accounts, um, and all these accounts belong to customers of uh, Devumi. So mm. it's the most unethical company. And the, the founder says, you know, I, we don't know anything about this. These aren't really associated with us. This is not something we do, uh, which is just complete rubbish. Um, yeah, but if it is an algorithm and uh, it's AI doing this, uh, they they are still responsible, absolutely. aren't they? Because we can't suddenly, you know, humanity cannot turn its responsibility over to oh well, the machines well, did it because rubbish, isn't it? Who you know, who created the algorithm? 
Yeah. yeah. So, um, yes, the follower factory on it. Was it Quincy Jones? <laughs> He's got a lot to answer for today, hasn't he? Wow. Yeah, there's an article to read. If you, if you don't know, read the, yeah, the Quincy read Jones interview. Oh, I'm glad yeah. you read it. It's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, he drops bombs in that article, doesn't he? And then moves on. He's like, I'm 86 and Can I he don't just give moves a shit. On? It's amazing. <laughs> anyway, what's your website of the week, John? Mine is, uh, I've been working on some lettering for a uh, food company Mm -hmm. and uh, they are Indian based, uh, well, they're Indian food based, Mm -hmm. but it's called uh, indiastreetlettering.com. Now, have we had this on before? It's a brilliant site. It's literally Ah, like a Tumblr-like visual uh, record, but it's also mapped of uh, the most wonderful hand-painted signage in in Ah, India. Oh, that's cool. And it's being... um, Curated by, I think, one person, Pooja Saxena. Mm. Uh, so she documents street lettering and signage from India. Um, because what, one of the, my, um, I saw this on a site you talked about today, which is called Present and Correct, yep. which I hadn't heard of. So I went off and had you a look. You didn't know what Present a fantastic and Correct? Website that. Oh. No, and I also uh, love their blog. Yeah. It's absolutely Wonderful. brilliant. I love the 3D style lettering that they have in india um and i've got to kind of replicate that well i've already done loads like it but it's great to see Mm. it in in the flesh um so yeah brilliant website uh i want my pie rob it's getting cold let's do pies yeah i've got a brisket and horseradish pie by john thorners of somerset wow that sounds good which is from yeah which is from it's from the country market which is kind of like a farmer's market Mm -hmm. near here uh, I'm going in. It's uh, actually the, uh, the it's very glossy, um, lovely pastry, suety pastry on top. Um, I've gone through and it's got lovely bits of beef that's all you know breaking apart. What is it? Is it st- and steak and ale or beef? It's brisket, brisket. and yes. horse horseradish. But I can actually see the horseradish on top Ooh. of the pie. So there's quite a lot in there. Yeah, it's good. It's probably lacking a little bit of gravy but that might be because it's gone cold it's just beef and it's fabulous the pastry it's not just a lid that's really good sounds it yeah that's getting an eight fantastic and that's that's high scoring isn't it just Mm. yeah i've got nothing so uh delightful i've got a tesco chicken and gravy pie which uh it doesn't (laughs) doesn't really sound great does it it's a it's a decent looking pie it's all pastry short crusty uh there is a a hint of pet food about it when you cut into it the kind of way it looks but it's okay pastry's tasty chicken's tender um it kind of does what it says on the tin you know it's nothing flash it gets a six and a half you know, it's, it's all right. Maybe a six. <laughs> um, yeah, right. not bad. Uh, yeah, so um, have a lovely weekend and I will speak to you next week. Likewise, John. Been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, and also there's a competition running on elliepress.co.uk uh, this weekend. It'll be uh, starting tomorrow. Rob will kick it off and, uh, yeah, you can win a one of his lovely prints. Absolutely, yeah. So um, keep your eyes peeled. Bye. Bye. Lord of the Rings, Chapter Three. Yep.
What's the name of the uh, Three's Company. Three's Company. Yeah, a great sitcom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Sorry. what did you make of it? Putting that particle aside. Um, what did I make of it? It's uh, it's a little. It's almost like a little bridging chapter, isn't it? So Frodo and Sam and I can't remember which one it is. Merry or Pippin? Which one? Um, uh, it's Peregrine. Yep. Um, head off towards uh, well, out of the Shire. Um, yeah. So I think really it's again it's it's building on this uh, the kind of characterization of the hobbits. It, it's giving you more and more of an insight into kind of what they are like as people and what specifically they they are as characters. Um, but I think you get a real good sense of the scale of the Shire and the Hobbit's lack of knowledge of the outside world um, <clears throat> from this chapter. I mean, they don't really get very far in this chapter, do they? You know, they're no. travelling for sort of three days or something. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it, it, it has a weird disconnect about this. It's a, it's a bridging chapter, mm. not only in terms of story, but in terms of style. Well, there's one uh, thing you've pulled out, and that really struck me as well. So I'll let you uh, talk about that. What's that? The fox. Oh, yeah. The fox talk. Yeah. What's that all it's about? It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost it, like it's almost breaks the, oh, or... It kind of breaks the fourth wall, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of the yeah. fox it's almost sort of speaks directly to you. It's, it's, it's Yeah, weird. so the chapter ends with a fox looking at the hobbits um, and kind of... Well, it doesn't end with that. Sorry. Yeah, the, the chapter talks about a fox walking past them when they're sleeping and says, well, hobbits in the woods, what an amazing thing. Um, and then never thinking about, in, never seeing them yeah. again. Um, but what, are there any other parts of the book that are like no, that? No, I don't think all? so. It's strange sort yeah. of stylistically, and there aren't really any other talking animals. You know, no. even the eagles uh, later on in the book are, don't talk. And Gandalf talks don't to they? a few moths, but... Um, but yeah, it's curious. Uh, but it, it it is really strange um, because it kind of breaks into the. It's almost like a, a C.S. Lewis. Yes, would would have talking absolutely. Foxes. Um, but the the, the the chapters full of things like that that don't quite add up, and it and it is this weird kind of uh, shifting of pole. And I think he he went back and rewrote all these mm. bits. So there's there's certain parts of it. One of them is. Um, the, it feels really uncomfortable with Gandalf in the scene and he quickly departs, but he's urging Frodo to leave, but then stays two months. Yeah. Um, and then when it all kicks off, he's he's nowhere to be seen, which is, I know it's, it helps the story yeah. along, but it's really strange. There's a really strange disconnect in responsibility. If he's a wizard, you know, put on the earth and he's been there 2000 years, he should kind of have a bit of a better clue about Absolutely. things. Um the other the other um thing that's interesting is the friends um and and how Tolkien chose which friends were gonna go on this adventure with mm. him and whether he's chose whether he knew at the time of writing this draft, you know, the final mm. draft, that um Mary and Pippin were gonna be going along with um with Frodo. Yeah. Uh because um well well one, Mary's not there on the first part of the yep. journey, and two, there's several other characters that are mentioned. One of them being Fatty Bolger. <laughs> Which who I thought uh, he did the Great Train robbery. 
<laughs> I has anybody written a kind of fan fiction or a novel oh, about Fatty Bulger? There's bound to be. It's got. It's got to be a good yeah, one. It's a great name. I think if I ever play Dungeon Dragons again, it would be uh, my, my. That would be my character. If name. I ever go into um, artisanal sausage making, uh, I'll, there'll definitely be a Fatty Bulger um, on the menu. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's another moment in it that I missed, uh, which is Frodo overhears the one of the ring rays. Yeah. Um, and I, do, I, I don't remember that at all. That that really is quite threatening when you know the story. Well, it is, and you know, and that's right outside um, Bag End. Yeah, it's, it's very um, weird. But then, then, then Sam completely forgets to, to tell, tell him. him the story. Yeah. When you're thinking, I've, I haven't seen a human here ever, yeah. uh, apart from Gandalf, and there was one asking for Baggins at my dad's house. Yeah. You, you kind of would have mentioned that, well, the, but maybe he was he'd been on the beer. Yes, maybe. But the Ringwraiths. Uh, Oh, the, the you know the Black Riders at this stage of the book they're not that malevolent are they you know if you think back to the Ralph Bakshi version and the Peter Jackson version you know they're utterly horrible and diabolical um, but they kind of it doesn't really emphasise that about them does it you know no, they're just a, it's just a bloke dressed in black on a horse <clears throat> there's this weird is it is it the fact that um the story has become so famous and so um you know repeated in in various medias uh, in terms of like filmmaking mm. and uh etc cetera, etc cetera, that the stories are now starting it's starting to be, they're starting to affect the original book yeah um in terms of like our perception of I'm it sure. because I don't remember any of this yeah. um of these little uh nuggets that don't feel that it doesn't feel right no. it um yeah it's not precise our, that our view of them has, has definitely been shaped by the films yeah i mean it, it, so maybe you know the book is, is an inc- incredibly dense it, you know it's not the sort of book that you can you know remember a, a huge portion of you remember the kind of key points and the you know the kind of flow of it but um you know, there's so much detail in that that it's impossible to kind of keep it all, isn't it? Yeah. One one of the things that you that I've really struck me in this chapter was the the landscape and the descriptions of the countryside. Uh, I think that's definitely from his memory rather than yeah. making it up. Uh, he really is repeating yes. countryside that he's walked yeah. in because it is <clears throat> really evocative mm. and uh, and very personal and be- beautifully written, actually. Uh, it's almost like you know he's taking you through a three-dimensional uh, world. Yeah, no, you're completely right. I, I think that's good writing. Yes. Um, uh, the poetry. Did you used to read the poetry? Nope. Yes or nope. no? <laughs> uh, it's pretty turgid. I don't read the poetry. I mean, I've been reading Harry Potter. I still skip them. You've put used to skip these bits. I'm still skipping them. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm reading them, but th- uh, they are on a kind of uh, J.K. Rowling level of poet. I've never been a fan of those sort of bits in any fantasy books. You get it a lot in the Game of Thrones things where someone sings a, oh, a ballad God. or a saga and you just oh, skip this bit. Yeah, but he can't write, but Tolkien can write. Mm. And, uh, some, yeah, I, I mean, the road goes over on. Um, did Flanders and Allen do a... No idea. Like a song book. I've no idea. Wasn't that in the 1930s, John? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So the uh, and the only other thing was oh yeah the old tree they they sleep in an old tree on the first night when the fox yes. sees them um, and uh, it's got a crack in it that is is incredibly reminiscent of a later tree that they fall asleep in uh, and I wonder if that's the kind of the, this is the prototype or maybe sort of precursor where he's to kind it. of got the, these little nuggets of ideas and things and he's he's kind of yeah. reused them. Mm. Mm. They, they they meet elves at the end of the chapter they do. who uh, sort of guides them of where they should go and what they should seek out and uh, and says you know we can't really give you advice because uh, that that would be foolish and then gives him advice um when they meet them the elves are saying that they're going away um but they're going in completely the opposite direction to the grey havens yes they are aren't they aren't they yeah because they're traveling they're traveling west What's that all about? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you got me there. I need but, a I need a good map. That's what I need. I hate I hate elves. <laughs> they are self righteous. You're right. Oh, they're so annoying. Yeah. I always hated them in Dungeons and Dragons as well. I quite I used to quite I like always... playing a half elf. Oh, yeah. half elves! They're the worst. <laughs> they're the worst of both uh, worlds. Or a half ogre. I used to play a half ogre quite a lot. What? Yeah. Hmm. Which one? An og or a goo? <laughs> I just can't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's the end of Lord of the Rings, I guess. Have you got anything else nope, to say about that it? That sums it up. It was quite a short chapter as well, wasn't it? So it's not uh, yeah. massive to talk about. I'm just looking at what the next chapter is. A shortcut to mushrooms. Oh, that's a that's a classic. <laughs> Marvelous. Well, I shall look forward to reading it. Let's let's hope this thing records. <laughs> Fingers crossed. God. <laughs> All right, then, John. It's been uh, a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. And uh, I'll speak to you tomorrow, no doubt. Yes, no, no doubt. doubt. No, 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 no.